together in prayer uh, before we uh, get into this passage. Lord God, in our worship to you this morning, we now turn to what our hearts and souls need most, and that's your living and active word. Help us to behold you and to exalt in the gospel as we see it revealed in this passage, Lord. I pray that you would use me now in my weakness to do this passage justice and to exalt Jesus and that you would take this word and speak personally uh, to each and every one here in the way that they need and only the way that you can as our good shepherd. So have your way now and may your spirit be at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout the fall, before the Advent season, uh, we've been studying the book of Acts, and we believe uh, it was a very fitting book uh, to study as we launched uh, Renewal Mainline, so that as we see the marks, the DNA of the early church, uh, it serves, it gives us a biblical blueprint for this, your congregation, to aspire to and to grow toward, and how important it is to have a blueprint always set before you to aim for. Because as the saying goes, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time. Right? And as a pastor now, uh, in, now in my second decade in full-time ministry, I've experienced how easy it is for the church to just meander along with no real sense of conviction, purpose, and direction. And even a new church like this one, more quickly than you realize, can drift into unhealthy, insular, stagnant ways. And so as we close out this year, uh, we want to go back where we left off in Acts for one more passage, and that's this one in chapter 8, uh, verses 26 to 40. And with this, we're going to end our series uh, on Acts for now, uh, and we're going to do something else uh, as we start uh, uh, this new year, and hopefully down the road at some point, we'll pick up the book of Acts uh, where we leave off with chapter 9, which starts a new section with Paul, his conversion, and his ministry. But as we look at this passage and close out Acts for now, we'll see that it, it will serve as a good wrap-up summary of all that we've learned and studied, especially for those of you who are in community group and we're going to the Bible studies, uh, all that we've seen in Acts so far. And hopefully it will be a good reminder and set a course for us as we look ahead to this new year. Now let me catch us up on what's going on uh, in the context of this passage. Stephen, if you remember, one of the appointed leaders of the church in Jerusalem was martyred. That's what we saw in chapter 7. And God used that death sovereignly to scatter uh, his church, the huddled believers, out beyond Jerusalem into all Judea and Samaria. 
And in our passage this morning, Philip, another one of the appointed leaders, he had been doing gospel ministry in Samaria, and it was very fruitful, but now he gets sent by an angel of the Lord to go down south about 100 miles from where he was doing fruitful ministry, down to this desert road, going down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Gaza was the gateway to Egypt and the rest of Africa. And so he would have never gone down to this desert road uh, south from where he was on his own. He must have been like, why am I leaving this fruitful ministry that I have going on here in Samaria to the middle of nowhere? Why does he get sent there by God? Well, he gets sent there all for the sake of one person. To catch a random man on his journey back home. This man is an Ethiopian government official. A finance minister, if you will. In charge of the Ethiopian queen's treasure. And probably due to his position in the royal court, he is a eunuch, a castrated man. This Ethiopian eunuch, who somehow was exposed to Judaism, and perhaps he even converted to Judaism at some point, is returning home from a pilgrimage that he made to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. A journey of about... A thousand miles each way from his home, which would have taken about five months back then to complete. And so the Holy Spirit tells Philip to catch up to this man as he's on his way home riding in his chariot. And he finds him reading scripture. He finds him longing to understand the meaning of what he's reading. I mean, have you ever come across a stranger who is in the midst of reading the Bible intently. As you come across that person, person's begging you, can you teach me what I'm reading? Can you tell me what I need to do to be saved? I mean, I've never had that happen to me. I mean, this is the most ready-made evangelism opportunity ever. And in this divine appointment, this amazing scene that we have here in this passage, I want us to appreciate the gospel this morning in two ways. I want us to appreciate first the gospel's unparalleled inward reach, how it reaches into the very core of who we are. And secondly, I want us to appreciate the gospel's unparalleled outward reach. As we look at those two things, it both speaks to, and we'll be reminded of the gospel's veracity its truth, and its power this morning. So let's look at each of those things. First, the gospel's unparalleled inward reach. Thus far in Acts, you know, so far in this book, we've been told about these mass conversions to Christ through the public proclamation of God's word. So here we have the apostles, Peter, standing up before a crowd. And what's being said in these passages Thousands and thousands are being added to those who are being saved to the church. Well, here in chapter 8, 
is where we start to get accounts of personal conversions. And we're given these accounts so that we see what conversion to Christianity entails. Now, if you're a Christian, you're here this morning, you have a conversion story. Now, you might not be able to pinpoint the exact moment, the exact time that happened, but there was a moment where you definitively crossed over, once for all, the chasm from being lost, in the biblical sense of the word, to being found. Crossing over from being under the judgment of God, to now being forgiven and forever embraced by God. Crossing over from eternal death to eternal life. If this hasn't happened for you, then simply, you're not a Christian yet. Christianity is not fundamentally people becoming more actively religious. That you get, or some of you, that you get back into the habit of attending church, doing church things, participating in church community. Now, that's a result of Christian faith. But that's not what makes a Christian. And contrary to many people's perception out there, Christianity is not fundamentally people becoming nicer, more cleaned up versions of themselves. Christianity is about making people altogether new. From the inside, from the very core of who you are, from your thoughts, your desires, your trusts, your motivations, out to your actions. As Scripture tells us, when you come to Christ, you become a new creation. You become a new person altogether. The whole operating system of your heart and life changes. You go from, you don't just update to the newest version of your current operating system. You change your operating system altogether. You go from Android to Apple iOS, and there's no going back. So if you haven't already, convert. Now in this case of this Ethiopian eunuch, we get a glimpse into what this radical new creation change looks like. Now, on the surface, it seems like there's nothing about this man that you and I can relate to, this Ethiopian eunuch. But he's given to us as an example for a reason. So I want us to think about this man and dig a little deeper. What profile can we gather about him? Let's notice some things. First, like I said, he was a high-ranking government official with status, power, and wealth. Now, how do we know this? Well, notice that he was riding a chariot with a driver. Back in that day, when you traveled, you either traveled by foot or by horse, if you're an ordinary person. If you had a chariot, that was a limo, right? right you were riding in style. He was also reading from a scroll of Scripture, Back then, people didn't have individual Bibles. There was no printing presses. So if you owned Scripture, a scroll, 
which were very expensive to obtain. You were very wealthy indeed. Now, for this job, this career that he had as a government official, he had to become a sexually altered eunuch. Why? Because eunuchs could be trusted. They could be trusted not to get intimate with women in the royal palace. Eunuchs did not have families so that they could fully devote themselves, right, to their duties for the court. Nor did eunuchs have any children or heirs so that they didn't get tempted to uh, do any power plays or commit any corruption, right, to assert power. So that's what eunuchs were willing to do, to alter themselves in order to serve in royal courts. Now, this all seems very strange and foreign to us. But, but really, is it, in essence, when you think about it? I mean, don't people sacrifice relationships, even their family? Don't people sacrifice their spiritual, emotional well-being? Don't people sacrifice even their physical health because they're driven by their ambitions, by their career, in order to gain status and wealth? Or more broadly, don't you find yourself often pursuing what you feel will give you significance, status, security, even at the cost of what is best for you? You know, for this man, he sacrificed so much. He sacrificed the ability to have a family, which meant everything in that day, in that culture, and having a name for himself, and having a lasting legacy. People are not so different today. You and I are not different in essence. Now notice that with this man, with his work, and with the wealth and the status that he had, it did not satisfy him. How do we know that? Because he traveled over a thousand miles on this risky, arduous journey back then from his home to Jerusalem in search of God. People where, where he lived did not take that pilgrimage, and yet he was willing to do that. And on his way back home, he was searching the scriptures. So what do we see in this man? Even though he had all these things, he was an empty person. He was spiritually hungry. He was desperate for something greater. Now here's a heartbreaking thing, the last thing that we'll observe about this man. And it's that when he traveled that long journey all the way to Jerusalem and he got to the temple there, you realize he would have been barred from entering into the temple, into the inner court to worship God. He went all that length to be stopped. Why? Because no matter how much he identified with Judaism, he was still an ethnic Gentile. He was an outsider. 
Gentiles could only stay in the outer court and not go in. Moreover, if you know the law of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, we're told that castrated individuals, eunuchs, were prevented from entering the assembly of the Lord because they were unclean. So here was this man that made this pilgrimage only to be soberly reminded that he was a broken, unclean outsider who could not enter into the presence of God. So here's a man who made a life for himself of status, power, and wealth at a high physical and relational and emotional cost. And yet all he had and built his life upon left him empty and searching to great lengths for what could satisfy him in deeper ways, what could satisfy his soul. And in his spiritual seeking, he knew by virtue of who he was, a sinner, unholy, an outsider. He could not be immediately accepted by a holy God on his own. Now let me ask you as we understand all these things about this man. Can you relate to him at all in any way? Do you know anybody in your life that could relate to this person? We have much more in common than seems on the surface. In all of all passages of Scripture, this man's on his way back home, and what does he read? He's reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 to 8. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before a chair is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And he's wondering, who is this talking about? Is the prophet Isaiah who wrote this, is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And in God's providence in that very moment, this man Philip shows up right next to the chariot. And he goes, you understand what you're reading? How can I? And he goes on telling him it's Jesus. The one your heart has been searching for for thousands of miles in all your life. In that moment, Philip brings to this man's searching heart, the sin-forgiving, soul-satisfying, person-recreating, identity-reshaping truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross that we sung about in the service already. That Jesus, the holy and righteous one, was unjustly condemned and slaughtered like a lamb for the lifelong sin of this man so that this man who should be condemned would be forever forgiven and accepted by God. That Jesus was cut off from the land of the living among his generation as an outcast. He was treated as an outcast, like a Gentile, like a eunuch. Why? So that this Ethiopian eunuch, this outcast, 
will be brought all the way in into the life-giving presence of God. That Jesus became powerless, poor, humiliated, so that this government official will be given a heavenly identity, heavenly wealth, heavenly status that he could never gain for himself with his earthly power and possessions and prestige. You know, it's not hard to imagine that Philip, while he was there in the chariot with this man, that he rolled out that scroll of scripture just a little bit more, and he took this man a few chapters later to Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5. And those verses say, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Basically, I'm a barren person, fruitless, without value. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who, by faith, keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You can imagine Philip reading this passage to this man, and when he heard a passage like this, his heart must have been pierced. He was made new. Now, conversion happens, and for those of you who are believers, ongoing transformation happens in your life when the cross of Jesus Christ that Philip shared with this man when it functions as the operating system of your life. It changes the entire identity structure of your life. This is what I mean by the fact that the gospel has an unparalleled inward reach. There's no other message, there's no other truth that changes a person like this. It makes a person literally altogether new, a new creation. Everything about you, fundamentally, your identity is changed. No longer are you defined by your performance, your achievements, what you have or don't have, by your status, but your identity is now formed and forever fixed by the grace of God who gives you an everlasting name and status that can never be taken away, that can never change. So let me pause here. Just as we're here at the end of this year, entering into a new year, I want you to reflect just for a moment right now upon this past year. I want you to think about and ask yourself, what was the functional source of your identity that you were living by, that you were striving to gain or uphold? What were you looking to 
What were you striving after to gain or feel a sense of significance or importance? To put it another way, think about how you were trying to differentiate yourself over against others. Putting yourself in a superior category if you were succeeding. Or, in that area of your life, if you're honestly failing, you felt that you were in an inferior category to others. I mean, think about it. What were you looking to to define you as a person? Were you putting your worth in the level of your spending or your saving financially? For you parents, were you putting your identity in your parenting and the success of your kids? Or especially in our racially hostile climate right now in our country, would you putting your identity most of all in your ethnicity? And honestly looking down upon other ethnicities as in a different category of prejudice and ignorance from you? Or perhaps in our political climate, where you're putting your pride in your political convictions and looking down upon others on the other side? Where you're putting your pride in your diligence and your discipline? That's what you're looking to to make yourself feel superior. For those of you on social media, although you'd never admit it because it seems so trivial, but were you putting your identity in your social media activity to your shame? Perhaps the answer to these questions reveals that the cross of Jesus Christ is not acting as the operating system of your life. That in Jesus, you have a monument and an everlasting name better than sons and daughters, better better than possessions and prestige and power, an identity, a name that you can revel in and rest in, no matter what you do or don't achieve, no matter what you gain or no matter what you lose. The cross gives you all the significance and status and security you need so that you don't need to elevate yourself in boastful pride or you don't need to sink in anxious self-pity and depression. So as you think about these things, let me encourage you as we enter into a new year, as we look ahead, may you make it one of your spiritual goals May it make one of the directions of your heart in 2018 to learn, for many of us to relearn the experiential reality of Galatians 6.14, which says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, if you're a Christian, the world's way of pursuing 
am forging an identity of significance, of status, of security, is now dead to you. That's what it means. I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. The world's way of pursuing these things is dead to you. So live like it. Live with the cross of Christ as your anchor. Live with that as the operating system of your life. And don't live the up and down roller coaster that this world lives in trying to find a name and identity and significance on their own from the things of the world. Secondly, let's move to the gospel's unparalleled outward reach. Now, through this gospel encounter, uh, we see that powerfully this one man, this one individual is changed. But even though this passage involves a single individual, this passage involves nothing less than a world-changing moment with global implications. Back in Acts 1.8, at the very beginning of the book, Jesus told his disciples, and this is like the thesis statement for this entire book, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we see here with this Ethiopian eunuch, it marks the first time in Acts someone outside of the region of Israel is converted to Christ and baptized. This African man from Ethiopia, which back then was considered the ends of the earth. I mean, Ethiopia was about as ethnically and geographically remote from Jerusalem as you could get. And so the gospel coming to this man and changing this man in that moment was momentous. Because the promise of Acts 1-8 was being fulfilled. And this showed people for all generations that the gospel truly is for all peoples. All peoples. Now, in my times overseas, you know, doing missions work, one object, objection to Christianity has constantly come up in the places I've been in. And this objection is that Christianity is a Western religion. That Christianity is even an American export. That, you know, when you talk to people in some of these countries, Christianity doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to my people. I can't become a Christian. So we Chinese are Confucian or Buddhist, or if you're communist, if you identify yourself with the Communist Party officially, we're atheists. I'm an atheist. I can't be a Christian. Or in India, if you're in India, we Indians are Hindus. Can't be a Christian. To which, just look at the book of Acts. You see there that Christianity began in the Middle East. And its roots in the first centuries are sunk deeper in the East than in the West. And we see this reflected today where the center of Christianity is not in North America or Europe, even though we America-centric people tend to think that way, that this is where the greatest influence of Christianity is happening. 
It's all happening right here. But actually the center of Christianity now is in the global south, in east, in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia. And fitting with the legacy of this Ethiopian eunuch, actually the most extraordinary Christian growth over the last century has happened in Africa. In 1900, Africa was home to 8.7 million Christians. Today, more than 100 years later, there are 542 million Christians in Africa. And at this rate, by 2050, it's projected that there will be about 1.2 billion Christians in Africa. You understand what this is getting at? That means in a, just in a few decades, more than one in eight people on planet Earth will be an African Christian. Not an African. More than one in eight people on planet Earth will be an African Christian. So whose religion is Christianity? It's truly for all peoples, all languages, all cultures. No one ethnicity or race has a leg up or is more central to Christianity. And that's what makes it so powerfully distinctive. You see, other religions, other world religions, you have to adopt the culture. You have to change who you are culturally, even ethnically, to fully adopt the faith. To become a Muslim, you need to adopt the whole culture, what you eat, how you dress, reading the Quran in Arabic, every part of your life. To become a Hindu, to become a religious Jew, is to adopt the whole culture that comes along with it. But you know what the good news of God's grace for sinners is? Is that the gospel is fully for Ethiopians, Indians, Chinese, Koreans, without having to abdicate your ethnicity, your culture. This makes Christianity the most ethnically, linguistically, and culturally diverse faith in the world. So if you're here this morning and you're still seeing whether you want to identify yourself fully with the Christian faith, maybe you still have it in your mind that it's not really so different from the other faiths in the world. Just see it right there that it is starkly different and unique. And if there's any of you here that has this feeling that Christianity, that church, isn't for people like you, just look at this man. Just look at this Ethiopian eunuch and see that if he is brought in fully into the people of God, you are invited to fully belong. Now, what does this mean for us as I close? You know, one of the essential things that the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in your life if you belong to Jesus is that he's seeking to do in you and through you what he did in Philip in this passage. And what is that? That's push you out push you out of your comfort zone. Even crossing social 
and racial barriers. Out of your comfort zone. Into the lives of people who need the transforming cross of Christ. You see, this whole thing was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit speaking to Philip, prompting Philip, pushing Philip, he would have never gone to this man. And this divine appointment would have never happened. It was a spirit doing this thing in Philip's life to move him out. That's why we've been going through this book. And as we've been studying this book, and for those of you in community group, as you've been doing the Bible studies, hopefully you've been challenged again and again and again to be more public about your faith. Not to hide it, not to bury it. To seek out opportunities to share the hope that you have within you. Not avoid those opportunities. And hopefully through this series, the Holy Spirit has been stirring you up, working in you to inch you along, to be more bold, to seek those opportunities out. And let me tell you, unless you move in that direction to be public with your faith, to bring the transforming cross of Christ to people who need it, then you're not going to experience the fullness of the Spirit in your life. Let me ask you, in this coming year, do you want to experience more of the power, more of the grip, more of the influence of the Spirit in your life? I'm sure every one of us does. Well, how is that going to happen? It's not going to happen when you just focus on yourself, when you just focus on your needs. As a church, how are you going to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your midst? It's not going to be when you just focus on yourselves, inwardly on your needs, of which there are many. You know why that is? It's because for you to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you need to join the Holy Spirit in what he's doing and where he's going. And where is he going? To people like the Ethiopian eunuch. To people in your workplaces. To people on your blocks. To people in your class. Your family members even. People who need the transforming cross of Jesus Christ. And he's pushing you out. With love, with compassion with burden, to be more bold, to be more courageous, to open your mouth, to speak of Jesus, and to share him with those in need. And when you do so more and more, you will see the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in your life. And so as we look ahead to this new year, this is a very important year for Renewal Mainline. When you talk to church planners who start a new church, the first year is so very important. And so very important because in these weeks, and don't ever take a Sunday, don't ever take a community group for granted, your culture, your identity as a church is being forged. And the reason why we went through Acts in this first season is that you take your cue from the blueprint 
of the early church. And you aspire to these things as your DNA as well. Yes, that you're a vibrant community that loves one another and you grow in that and do that well. But simultaneously, you do not neglect your call to be on God's mission and reach out to those who are not here now. It is not a sequential thing. You know, we tend to have this kind of thought or feeling, man, I'm not ready. We are not ready to be outward focused, to think about people out here. We need to take care of ourselves first. Well, it's true that you need to take care of yourselves, but it's not a sequential thing, that when you take care of yourselves first, then you'll be ready to be outward as a church. It doesn't happen like that, because you'll never get there. There's limitless needs internally. So if you wait till you're at a place ready, you'll never get there, and you'll never be outward. It's not sequential. It's simultaneous. So let me encourage you, individually and as a church, into this new year. Would you be challenged? Would you be stirred up by the Holy Spirit to get out of your comfort zone? To experience more of the inward reach of the gospel in your own life as it continues to transform you, as it forges your identity in deeper ways? And let that beautiful cross that's changed your life, propel you outward into this world desperately in need. It's why this congregation exists. And it's the greatest movement in the world to be a part of. Let's pray. Let me invite us, let's all rise as we end our time this morning. Let me invite us, let's spend a few moments before we end our time coming before the Lord. And let me have us think about and consider each of those aspects of the gospel that we see beautifully in this passage. So first let me have you reflect on the place that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross in particular, has functionally in your life. Is it truly the operating system that you live by the reality that you revel and rest in or the way that you're living your life your pursuits, your ambitions betray the identity the grace given identity that Jesus has given you That in that way, perhaps you're a victim of identity theft, forgetting who you are in Jesus, being defined by what the world or your circumstances say. Well, let me invite you to come to Jesus now.
Perhaps there's someone in this room that would do that this morning for the first time. Exchanging their sin for the forgiveness and embrace and heavenly status of God. For the rest of us that you would rest in that and grow in that in deeper ways. Especially as we look ahead to the coming year, that is the most important thing you can do anchor yourself to the gospel and miss the tossing waves of your life and your circumstances. So let's spend a few minutes going to the Lord and reflecting upon that in ways in which you need to reorient yourself this morning to the cross as your anchor, as your identity. Let's do that and let's speak to the Lord about it. Okay, let's pray. Secondly, can I have us consider the gospel's unparalleled outward reach? And think about your call as a witness for Jesus. And we've been hearing and learning about all, all um, fall season long. So as we enter this year, would you keep that call upon your life as a witness to bring the saving message of the cross to others in need, to look for all kinds of opportunities to do that, to bring Christ into conversations, to come before the Lord this morning and ask for his help, ask for his power, ask for his boldness. Perhaps you're here this morning and you were not inclined at all to do that. Well, ask the Lord by His Spirit to inch your heart forward in this way. And hopefully this passage is not guilting you, but that it stirs up your heart to want to join the Holy Spirit in what He's doing in this world. To join the gospel in its unparalleled outward changing lives. So let's come before the Lord. Perhaps you have specific people that you've had in mind for a while that you want to continue to reach out to, to love, 
to serve and to share Christ with. Well, let's spend these few moments coming before the Lord and asking God for his empowerment, his strength, his courage uh, to be a vibrant, winsome witness. And perhaps you want to pray for even specific individuals that you're reaching out to. Okay, so we'll close with that. Let's go to the Lord. God, what can we say now but simply thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ in which we find our salvation, our strength, our worth, our riches, our boast. Help us to anchor ourselves and to rest in the cross again in deeper ways. And Lord, may this cross be as precious to us as ever that would propel us outward to share this message with those in need. May you use this church, God, to be a powerful testimony to the transforming work of the cross, to your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's sing this last song.